Hebrews 4, verse 14, saying then, we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's stop there again. Keep your Bible open though, for we will be referring to other scriptures and to this one, of course, again. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you make every meeting together different, sometimes powerful, sometimes convicting, other times mellowing and peaceful. Thank you, Lord, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, help us again to rightly divide the word of truth. And then your promised and covenant anointing, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. I open my mouth, Lord, and trust you to... Use me for your honour and your glory. This man who has failures and faults. This man and his weaknesses. With his inabilities Lord. And my own infirmities. I trust in your grace. And in your mercy. And in the leading of the Holy Ghost. Father that you would take the words from clay lips. And wing them home with power. And with authority into hearts like good seed into good ground. That your son may be glorified and your saints may be edified. And we would all leave satisfied. Glorify your name we pray for Jesus sake we ask it. And we'll give you thanks again. Amen. Amen. You know, as I said when I started this series, um, I called it Old Covenant Sympathy and New Covenant Empathy. Old Covenant Sympathy because when we look at the Old Testament, we see a great heart of love always of God for his people. But also, It's a a sympathy that's greater than your sympathy and mine because he knows all things. He knows all people. He knows all hearts. So, as I said at the start, it's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He is the same God. But coming from sympathy, where we can come alongside and encourage and help and try to strengthen, and God does that not by trying but by doing. Please don't get me wrong. But trying to lay it in a human term where we come alongside, for example, when someone's in mourning, let them know we're thinking about them, we're praying for them, we're here to, you, in our own time of mourning, you, some of you brought, brought and baked, I was going to say bought, you bought, you brought and you baked cakes and buns and, and so on, soup, everything. We were really appreciative and those little things help. It's a sympathy to come along in a time of need. And God's sympathy is greater in the sense that 
God can help, God can lift, God can encourage in all situations when man can't. The wonderful thing about the new covenant empathy is this, that to walk in another's shoes. So God became flesh in the person of his son. God veiled himself, or in other words, he took on a body of flesh. In other words, as God, he knows me. As God, he knows you. But as man, he understands me. As man, he understands you. In other words, the weaknesses or the infirmities that come on the flesh, he felt them all. He tasted them all. He experienced them all. So no matter how you're feeling, no matter how you're thinking, no matter what you're going through, God empathizes, not just sympathizes, he empathizes with a broken heart. He empathizes with an, a painful body. He empathizes in to know what human suffering is like. He knows exactly what the human frame is like, the temptations to the human frame. He knows what it's like when you're tried and you're tested. He knows what it's like when you're weary and you're weak. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to, to be hungry. He had to sit on a well in the heat of the day asking for water of a woman. This is the God of the universe set to, to understand me and to understand you. This is what he did. So when we think of we're on our own, when we think of we've got so much against us, remember the, the scorning he went through and the whippings and the beating the man handling. We think of the nails in his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns driven into his brow. We think of the lashes upon his back and the blood which flowed from his veins. When we take it all and we look at it in a human sense, never mind the, the, the notwithstanding the spiritual aspect of it, which you and I could never grasp hold of. We could never understand the spiritual aspect that is us of him bearing our sin, who knew no sin, who did no sin, who was yet without sin. The impeccable son of God who could not sin because he was God. God who hates sin but yet bore our sin when he became flesh. And the spiritual side of that, of the, the, the son out of fellowship of the father crying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of me. Because of me, because of my sin and because of you, because of your sin. The spiritual aspect of that we'll never get the grips with. But we can understand the human things. And God being the great eternal spirit became human so that he could get the grips with the human frailty. That's the right term I've used. Because God knows all things but to understand the human frailty, God took on a body of flesh. So this morning, whatever you're feeling, thinking, going through, coming against or coming against you, he's been there. And he steps in to your shoes 
And he says to you this morning, I know, but I understand. I understand. For verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have looked over a few weeks at how God wants you to come before him more than you want to come before him. See, God wants to save the sinner more than the sinner ever wants to be saved because the sinner, the man and woman that is outside of Christ who have not yet come to saving faith in him, uh, they're carnal and they're dead and they're trespasses and sins. They don't know how to turn to God. It's an impossibility for a dead man can't speak back. A dead woman cannot talk back. They don't react. It takes the Holy Spirit to speak to a man and to speak to a woman, to quicken their heart and to draw them and you know it's God. And that man and woman starts to change their heart, change their mind, because God is working in them, speaking to them, calling them, drawing them, moving in them. And suddenly they see that which they were uninterested in. They see it as something to be interested in. And suddenly they see the Christ of God or the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, bearing their sin instead of them thinking, by my works, religion, denomination, I'm bearing my own. They see the, their need of, of coming in full faith and saying, when Christ died for me, he took my sin from me and paid the debt for me that I could be completely forgiven, justified, just as if I'd never sinned and declared righteous by the Father. Here we have the Lord saying many times, we'll not go through them, Come on to me. We've looked at many instances through the scriptures. You can get CDs if Denise would run them off for you or download them. But you can get through the scriptures. Come on to me. Come to me. Come to me the whole time. And God's always beckoning you, brother, and me, sister, to come. He's beckoning the, the unregenerate. In other words, the, the, the man and woman who do not have the regeneration of the spirit. He starts beckoning them. Come, come, come. Come to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am the Lord and there is none else. There's no other saviour. And he says to you, Christian, this morning, who are maybe feeling, well, you know, I'm not up to much. And I'm weak and have failures and have faults. Well, you know what I would say to you as a man? Join the club. Here, he beckons you to say, heaven's gates are still open to you through Christ. There's a path that has been paved that is consecrated for you this morning. No matter how far you've went, no matter how far you've drifted, no matter where it's in mind, in word, in action, or in deed, and it's not walking in an open course of sin to keep on sinning, believing grace to abound over sin, for that's not the, the issue here. The issue here is we know that we're failing every day. But we live in his grace. And we know that we, we do certain sins and do certain things and go certain places or wherever we go. And we know by the, the, by the, the conviction of the Holy Ghost within us, we shouldn't be there or be, there, be there in that place or do that certain thing or act that certain way. And we're sorry for it. And we turn from it back to God and say, Lord, I, I, I've, I've been wrong. We apologize and we repent of it. And God forgives that. 
So it's not walking and okaying, as it were, condoning an open course of sin, someone sinning and sinning and sinning and thinking, well, the blood covers me and grace abounds over my sin. We can keep on this track. For if you're on that track, surely you're not on the consecrated track that is made into heaven by the blood of Jesus. Surely you're on the wrong road. Notice this. The Lord wants you this morning to come to him more than you want to come to him. And the declaration of an invitation here was given to all of us uh, without stipulation. There's no hope bars here. There's no, uh, there's no orders. There's no clauses. Get, come to me when you sort that out or come to me when you feel your heart's getting stronger or come to me when you're not feeling as weak. God does not put any stipulation on it. He says to you, in your condition this morning, he says to you, with a broken heart, or a mourning heart, or a hurtful heart, or a bitter heart even this morning, come to me, for when we go into his presence, his presence changes our hearts. His presence turns our hearts to be more like his. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace. I want to look at the word boldly. We're getting to it at last. I think this is part five, is it, of this series. And I might do one more. I'll see. I think I'll need to, but let us therefore come boldly. Now, you and I think someone being bold is someone being irreverent or arrogant or nasty or cheeky or whatever. Bold. But the word here for bold is none of those. Neither of them would match the word bold here. The word bold here in, in the Greek New Testament is, is, a, is a word parasia. And it's made up of two words. One, pan, which means all, A-L-L, all. And resis, which means speech, all speech in other words. God wants you to come to him this morning. He wants you to come boldly with all speech. We, we sort of think, you know, well, how do we come to God boldly with all speech? Listen to what the word parousia means. It means to have confidence. To come to him with full assurance. To come with freedom of speech. To come, listen, with absence of fear. In other words, we are told, come to the throne of grace with absence of fear. And do you know if we have an absence of fear in our walk and an absence of fear in our life, we are living in love. You're living in the love of God because you know his heart for you, his big heart of love for you. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him or know him with assurance. And as you love your children, so the Lord loves you so much more. And you're coming with an absence of fear. That's what it means boldly. Fullness of speech to tell him anything to tell him everything, to talk about what you need to talk about, going into his presence, to worship before him the way he draws you 
and has placed in you to worship, to worship him in freedom. Be unafraid to shout his praise, his hallelujahs, his praise the Lord's, giving glory to God from our hearts through our mouth. This is the idea. And God says, come to me and do it. Come to me when the, Gary and the team get up to sing and, and play and lead. Come to me and worship. Come and sing your praise. Come and lift your heart to me. Come if it's broken. Come if it's hurt. Come if it's weary. Come if it's down. Come if you've went wayward. Come if you think you're wrong. Come if you feel condemnation. Come without fear into my presence, he says, and I will lift you up. I'll love you. And I'll love you. And I'll love you again. It's the idea here that God does not want you to stay out of the way of his presence. Whether it's here or at home. Or maybe you're in work and you're in an office and you can close the door. Or maybe you're on a bus and you want to close your eyes and pretend you're sleeping and just whisper to God in your heart. There was a fellow downloads the sermons online from here. And he lived in London. He now lives in in, uh, Kentucky. And he downloads still and he says, when he had no car, he sat on the bus with his MP3. What is it you call that? Is it an MP3? Somebody help me. iPod. I don't know what they are. You say, I haven't a clue. I'm a dinosaur in those things. And he sits with that. And he hears the sermons and then he prays. His bus journey took him an hour and a half to get to work in the morning and an hour and a half home. And he said this was his church on the bus. He had a church bus ministry. There you are. And you know what he'd done? He was able to worship in his heart under the Lord. He was able to pray in his heart under the Lord. He's able to give thanks in his heart under the Lord. And even sitting on a bus full of people in the middle of London, the Lord didn't turn him away. The Lord didn't reject him. And the idea here is that God says there's an open heaven, there's a consecrated paved way, and I want you to fellowship with me. I want you to come with your hurts, and I want you to come with your queries, and I want you to come with your anxieties, and I want you to come with your family problems, and I want you to come with all the things that hurt you and beset you. I want you to come and tell me what's on your mind. I want you to come and worship and give thanks and praise me, because I'm the one who can fix it. Because the the, the invitation here is that we are to come to obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. In a time of need. It gives the idea of a a time of seasonal need. In other words, you can come all the time, but see when you're really down and out. He says, my arms are still open wide. Don't run from me. It is, but run to me. So the word here, parousia, means so many different things. I want to show you something. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for me, please. And what I want to show you is, with this word, there are so many English words that mean this one word, parousia. So boldly is the word parousia, okay? Let's look at another English word, which is the same Greek word and the meaning of it, just to strengthen what the meaning of it is. Hebrews chapter 10 And just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 16. 
This is the covenant that I will make with them and after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and into their minds while I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This is talking about the covenant of blood, the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ and Calvary. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering. So there's only the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, for the remission of our sin. Nothing else. That's what they're saying. No animal sacrifice. Nothing. Having, therefore, brethren, look at the word, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest here gives the picture of the holiest of all or the most holy place or the holy of holies where the high priest of Israel could only go once a year with the blood of the lamb or an animal. And now the Hebrew writer is saying to us, we are able to come with full assurance We're able to come with freedom of speech. We're able to come and speak plainly. We're able to come with absence of fear. Because the high priest went into the holy place behind the great big curtain. And they actually used to tie a rope around his ankle in case he he was unaccepted. He wasn't accepted by God's glory. And God's glory would cause him to vaporize really. To be extinguished as it were. I mean he would die in the presence of God. And there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the cherubim angels and the glory came down. And on this mercy seat, the blood was sprinkled and God saw the blood on the mercy and he accepted the sacrifice and the offering. But these used to listen outside the big curtain to hear for the high priest. And around his garment was a, a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate the whole way around his great big flowing garment. And as that was around his garment and the garment swung from one side to the other as he ministered around all of the furniture in the temple or the tabernacle and then the temple. And as he did this, the bell hit the pomegranate and back and forward. And there was a, a sound made in the most holy place or the holiest of all. So when the, the men were outside listening, the other priests, that went, quiet. He's still alive. I can hear the sound of the bell and the pomegranates. And a while later as he's ministering, quiet. I can hear the sound of the bell and the pomegranates. He's still alive. The high priest is still alive. Because they held onto this rope. If he died, they weren't allowed to go into the presence of God. And they had to pull him out with the big rope. See, the reading here is that the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, has ascended through the heavens into the presence of the Father. And he is ministering before God for you this morning and for me. And so there's opened up a throne of grace for us. And how do we know our great high priest is alive? Well, we know because of the resurrection story. Yes, of course. We know because there were over 500 witnesses who saw the resurrection of Jesus after they all watched him die. Yes, that's true. There's many a resurrection story. But how do we know today, in this year 2014, that our great high priest is still alive? The sound of the bell and the pomegranates. You know what that is? It's the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit moving in the church. The Spirit moving in your heart. The Spirit calling you with love. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are sent 
from the holiest of all. So the writer here is saying, let's read it again in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, notice, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That means the word of God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. In other words, what the writer is saying is, we can now enter the holy place. When I stand here, and I don't need to close my eyes to pray, but it's to block out all, all distractions around the room or around your workplace or whether I'm at home, I stand and close my eyes and pray. Although when I'm walking across the field many a time, I keep my eyes open because then you're down the ditch after a wee while you're down a hole and you near break your ankle. So sometimes it's okay to pray with your eyes open. We don't have to. It's just to cut, cut out distraction. We focus on him. But if I stand here this morning and, and close my eyes and cry unto God through the blood of Jesus, where am I? I'm before you in a church in Donnacrony, a little building in Don, called Donnacrony Elam, where we're all gathered together and all eyes are on the man standing with his eyes closed praying. That's where I am physically, where I am spiritually. I'm standing in the holy place of God. You're standing in the holy place of God. So when you're praying the next time, don't be thinking, I'm way down here and you're way up there. As soon as you enter that realm and you say, Lord, I'm coming in Jesus' name. I'm coming through the blood of the Lamb. I'm coming, Lord, to make petition, Lord. I'm coming to pray. Oh, God, just help me. You're not way down here and he's way up there. You're way down here and he's right inside you. You're right before the throne of grace. So God is saying to you this morning, come and pray. Come and seek my face. Come and worship. Come and praise. Come and bring everything to me. Come freely. Come without, uh, come without fear. There's an absence of fear in the presence of God. Briefly, let's look at verse 35. I want to look at this word parousia for you. Verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now God is faithful that promised. So God has given us great and precious promises. Do you hear that, brother and sister? God has given us great and precious promises. And we stand into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. A new and living way which is consecrated for us. And when we come to pray wherever we are. Or when we gather together and we're here to worship. And you're here this morning. Those promises once we are doing the will of God. That is entering into that place to call on the name of Jesus. It says after that God sends the promise. See the word here in verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Would you say confidence? Confidence. Would you say it again? Confidence. 
Would you say it with confidence? <laughs> confidence. Would you say it with confidence? Confidence. The word confidence is the word parousia. The same as boldness or boldly. It's the same Greek word. Cast not away therefore. That boldness. That absence of fear. Cast not away the love of God. Live in his love. Cast not away. Because once we cast away our confidence, we're losing a great recompense of reward. You're losing the the, the pleasure and the honor of coming into the presence of God, asking him to deal with your problem and asking him to turn the situation around. And your heart is holding back and my heart holds back and says, Lord, I know you can do it, but I've lost my confidence. Lord, I know you hear me to answer my prayers, but once you say it, we've lost our confidence. Oh, Lord, I haven't been a good Christian this week. I can't come into your presence. I want to, but defeat it. Brothers and sisters, when we have fallen away from his presence, the more we need to be in it. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ this morning. The writer is writing here because those who came out of the Judaism or out of a, a Judaistic background, out of Jewry, they had a confidence at one time that this was Messiah. And things started to trouble them and worry them and fear them and they started to think, I'll have an easier life if I don't follow Christ and go back to the temple, go back to the synagogue. And the writer's saying, don't cast away your confidence in Christ. For there's promises ahead in God for you. And brother or sister, you might say, you know what, things are hard and I just feel like giving up. See, I go to Donna Clooney. Sometimes the word's a bit challenging and I just feel like giving up. Don't cast away your confidence in Christ because he has a great plan and purpose for you. And there's a great reward for you if you continue on in the faith in him. And he is faithful, not me. You're not faithful either, by the way. We are faithful to certain things. You know what I mean in this. I'm talking in the sense in our own doing before God. He is faithful that promised it. He'll bring it to pass. Let me do a scripture or so, and then I'll I'll wrap this up, and that's it, finish for you this morning. 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Two little verses Verse 19 and verse 20. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Look at verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. The idea here is we're not walking in an open course of sin, but living our life to the best of our abilities. Yet we see, we feel, we fall, and we falter before him. 
all the time. But yet when we know specifically we have sinned and we come before him to repent, he forgives us of our sin. But the idea here is that that we know we are off the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. See the word assure our hearts. It means he assures our hearts. The word assure here actually gives the idea. It means he will persuade our hearts. He will soothe our hearts. Listen to this one. When we come before him with that troubled heart, believing he loves us, he will tranquilize our hearts. He will tranquilize your heart. The heart that is at sixes and sevens, the heart that is upside down, the heart that is hurting and weary, He tranquilizes your heart. It's as though he just puts a big blanket of peace and love over you. And the tranquility of God reigns over all our problems in our hearts. For we, for if our heart condemn us, notice God is greater than our heart. I can't come, my heart's condemning me. Listen. If we allow condemnation to come, we'll all be condemned of something. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. God's greater than your heart if you feel condemned this morning. If you come to him, he's bigger than you. Did you hear that? God's bigger than you. God will forgive you. God is great in our hearts and know all things. Verse 21, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Here's the word again, parousia, confidence. If our hearts don't condemn us, and God says, I'm bigger than your heart, and I want you to come to the throne of grace, and I want you to obtain mercy, I want you to find my grace that you'll be able to live in me. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to find help in your time of need. I'm here for you, but I want you to come to me. I'm bigger than your heart, and I'm bigger than your worry, and I'm bigger than all you are. I'm bigger than your failures. I'm bigger than you. My heart's bigger than your heart. Thank God it is. If our hearts don't condemn us, it says, does not condemn us, then we confidence before God. I want to look at this word again next week because there's so much more of it. The idea is that we can come with a freedom of speech to him. Do you know what it also means, the word parousia? Boldly to the throne of grace, confidence before God. Do you know what it also means? It means to come without parable. What does that mean, come without parable? You know why Jesus told parables about the kingdom? Likened them on to. See, once you and I go into his presence and he knows our hearts and he understands everything about us. That's why he loves us. That's why he loves us. He loves us because he chose to love us. 
But he understands us because he became flesh. So he sees your weakness. And the idea here is that when we come into God's presence, now you be honest, brother, in your own heart. Sister, be honest. Because it happens to us all. We even go before God and try and make an excuse to him. Make our own parable up. We make an excuse why we have done a certain thing. We make an excuse why we have felt a certain way. We make an excuse why we have sinned. We make an excuse why we haven't obeyed his word and come under the authority of it. We make an excuse, well, it was his fault. It was her fault. We make an excuse for everything else. And the idea here is we are to come with an open heart because God already knows. He looks through you and me like a pane of glass. He wants us to come with an open heart. This is what I was always taught by my pastor. He says, son, God wants you to come in full open honesty. And he used to say, just be honest with God. No parable. Lord, you know something? I have sinned before you. I have done this. Lord, I have sinned before you. When no one else knows the secret thoughts and the secret sins of the heart and no one else knows what goes behind, going behind closed doors and no one else knows but you and you alone and you're condemned now and you're saying, I can't go before God. He says, come and be honest. Be honest with me. I already know it. Just be honest. Do you know God can take strong language? I don't mean foul language now. He can take strong language. He can take a man saying, Lord, I have uh, abused myself with the world. God can take it. Lord, I'm feeling depressed and I'm ashamed. God can take it. Lord, I've went wayward in my heart and nobody knows it. God says, I know it and I can take it. I can take it. Come and be honest before God. Worship and honesty. Spirit and in truth. That's the idea. He says, come. And you'll find mercy. Mercy is when we do not get that which we do deserve. You'll obtain mercy rather and you'll find grace. Grace is when we get that which we do not deserve. And then that we get help. For time of need. Let's just stand in his presence for a moment.